0: Welcome to Journeys in Podcasting. Today we will be, we'll be critiquing projects with iPads in literacy. We'll be looking at how we use the iPads to go beyond.
1: Here with us, uh, joining us today is Natalia Leon. Hey, guys. Mr. Chris Davis. Hello. And myself, Diego Lopez, tomorrow teacher for elementary. So why don't we go ahead and get started.
2: OK,
3: so what we set up are some quick video samples. I'm going to let the videos actually play and then we'll just have a quick go-around discussion afterwards. This first one is actually from a Lucy Coughlin's activity of reading around, uh, getting different perspectives on a text. This is from a Langston Hughes poem, Madam and Her Madam, where the students had to analyze the poem from four different perspectives, from the poet, from the reader, from the actual madam, the house owner, and from the maid.
4: I made a reflection from the Madam's point of view of the poem Madam and her madam. On this reflection I will be speaking from the Madam's point of view. I pay you for coming here and working. If you wanted to, you could quit. I can't do all those things because I have other things to do. You were the one who wanted to get the job. Alberto was the one who wanted to get the job in the first place. So It's not my fault that she didn't like it and that she complained so much about all the cleaning she had to do. On this part, Alberta complains that she has a lot of work to do. But I had to do all that work before she worked for me. So I think she is capable of doing that. Alberta complains that she has to make breakfast, dinner, supper, take care of my children, wash, iron, and scrub. Walked the dog around, she said it's worth too much, but I don't think so. As the the madam, I think Alberta is exaggerating it too much and complaining a lot. She just has to do her job, and if she says it's too much, then she could have come, told me, and I would have helped her find a solution. In this part of the problem, Alberta says that I'm trying to make a pack horse out of her.
5: So,
3: thoughts, ideas.
0: Why was the iPad needed?
3: Is that for me? Uh, Your project. Um, So they used to explain everything to capture different parts of the text. And they had to put themselves into different narrative positions. So as she's speaking, she's actually speaking from the perspective of that character. So they're speaking out of self. Um, And I think that creates this kind of fantasy element to it where you're not only processing in a different way, but you're having to build an empathy from the perspective of this character. Um, Would they be able to do that in normal discussion? I don't think that particular student would have given us those attitudes and that much expression if uh, she had to speak it in front of her peers. I think something about taking the iPad, sitting by yourself, processing this, and producing it on your own that's uh, tapping into that, that notion of private speech so that someone will produce something differently speaking to their device than they will talking you know, through a normal conversational prompt.
1: So the whole thing in this case was uh, made with uh, explain everything, right? Yeah, and
3: you can, you can hear some recording difficulties. She's, there's big grips around it. And so what we've been trying to train is to use the recording boxes. And those are just phone boxes. They put the iPad inside and that isolates one voice. So you don't get the background noise. And then uh, teaching the kids not to be handling the actual iPad while they're recording. That's a lot of the squeaking and, and other noises you hear as well. And then this was actually part of a book club activity. So this, this went on to a Google site which I guess now we'd be using Google Classroom. And when they get to book club, all the kids have listened to each other's videos and started commentary on it. So when they actually get to book club, they have a conversation started
0: already. They don't have to present ideas. Everyone has already sort of tapped into what each other's thinking. Mm-hmm. So I hear a couple of different things. First, you're saying that by speaking privately, it lowers their effective filter. and really brings out much more of what they want to say, a uh, la Stephen Crashing. But secondly, the students really have a chance to look at each other's work prior to ensuing a a grand conversation, if you will, or a big discussion, and so they really are aware of the perspectives that others have taken on the same poem or different poems.
3: No, in this particular class, in this activity, they all took on different perspectives of the same poem. Okay. So like one person had to report as the madam, one person had to report as the reader, and then when they went into discussion, they kind of talked about what the different perspectives were. So this class used that switching back and forth between asynchronous digital space and then synchronous classroom time pretty well. They would start activities in class and then continue them online and then come back the next day and continue the activity.
1: And if you think about it, the... uh The lowers the effective filter too because one, in the first part, like the kid will say, all right, i got the chance to take my iPad, go think about this in process and then record myself. But also he knows or she knows that they won't be speaking in front of the class like being, you know, the mother of, okay, I'm going to see what you did, whatever, right there. But Mm. rather the other kids or the classmates will go home and listen to it and that kid won't even have to be present. So he, he won't be going through, you know, I'll have to expose this in front of my peers until when I get feedback from them the next day.
6: I also I also like how this is actually making a portfolio for them. They're actually going to record this and, and they're going to keep a track of how I'm progressing and how my thinking is also going deeper and deeper as my book club um, evolves and not just me but how is my book club as a group moving towards deeper thinking hmm. so i think it, it it does work to do it with ipads and allow them to asynchronously converse and have this real deep dialogue that you would not have during book club time because it's so limited the amount of time that we have for book club during class. It's just very, very limited, and it doesn't allow for the kids maybe to go as deep as they can go.
3: Yeah, I think it's that sort of, you know, going back and forth between the the radical collaboration time, so your book club time would be that time, Mm -hmm. and then the breakout time, where you go to have, to kind of encapsulate your thoughts, and that is enabling those marginalized students who maybe in those more spatially competitive times to speak, that particular student I know
0: wouldn't speak out. Yeah. But you can tap into thinking that's going on in the class in, in a different way. The thinking is all, is all documented as well. Mm-hmm. And if the ensuing comments are documented, you really have an opportunity to go back either as a teacher to reflect upon your practice or as a class to reflect upon how this whole project went and hopefully cull some ideas from that project to lead to future projects and deeper thinking and learning.
3: Yeah. No, and I think that's, that's part of that, making everything sort of transparent and visible. And then being able to go and pull from those key moments where something really special happened. Then you've got this moment you can go back and return to. Well, let's, let's move on to guys cool moving? So Fantastic Voyage. This is from a project in Natasha Peterson's class of fifth graders that studied the human body. And we'll take a look at the clip and then we'll talk about um, its meaning.
7: My name is Gabriela Martinez and I'm presenting the Respiratory System Plan of Attack. To rescue Dr. Smalls and help provide information that will provide a cure for the patient and help us answer the myth about whether or not the cold gives you a cold, we are entering the respiratory system. To enter the respiratory system, we propose to enter through the nasal cavity. This part of the respiratory system helps filter air that comes into your body. A possible danger of traveling through this part of the respiratory system is that we can have trouble seeing since there are hairs in the nasal cavity. Another problem that we can run into while in the nasal cavity is that we can get stuck in the mucus. We will solve these problems by first using a lantern to see and suck some of the mucus out of the body. After we successfully navigate through the nasal cavity, we will arrive to the pharynx. Also, we can enter the pharynx after we pass the nasal cavity. This part of the respiratory system is a passage for the mouth or nose to esophagus and larynx. A possible problem that we might have is that the air is pushing the submarine. Another problem that we might have is that the submarine can flip since there are a lot of curves. To solve these problems, first of all, to block the air, I would maximize the engine power and second of all, to prevent the submarine from turning, I would like to use I would use the flaps to level and stabilize and give directions to the submarine. After we navigate through the pharynx, we will arrive to the larynx.
3: Okay, so a little bit of background on this one on the project was the kids are studying the human body and they're going on a fantastic voyage, a mission into the body to, to bust a myth or to rec- rescue a shrunken doctor, Dr. Smalls. And these are prototypes. They're, they're building up to actually creating a movie. And so the idea is that, that by building a prototype, you're, you're creating this simulation of, of the actual kind of fantasy event and that creates all of this need to know situations where they get to a point and they're not comfortable talking about something they have to go back to their notes or go back and research more or go look something up um, to push their thinking a little further
6: this is i think what i love the most about using ipads inside the classroom and i really think that it allows for you to create a narrative where curiosity leads the way and students can definitely get deep into a topic and discuss with each other and find more things that they can be curious and ask questions about that can guide their research and really find a creative way to just showing it and presenting it to others not just a conventional way.
0: Also, thinking a little bit about the inquiry process in that, and how do they record their questions to then lead to future research? How do they do that in this? You mean from here? Well, this would be critiqued in front of the class. We'd actually look at this
3: and then come up with okay, well, when you got to this point, what would you still need to know to go further into the body? Or if you're really going to do that, you know, kids would catch each other kind of in different moments. Now, from there, they went on to do more research, then they make a storyboard, and then they co create a movie with a teacher where they come in with all the video clips and everything, and then I help them package it all together. But the idea is that um, you're using this simulation to kind of guide and to drive their
0: inquiry and thinking further. And so thinking about the, the the gestalt logistics, did all the students have a chance to show their video in front of the class and be critiqued? No, we, we would use groups. So they, they worked in, in packs or groups of four, sometimes
3: five. And so each group was responsible for running critiques of each other. And then it, at some points, the, their individual work became collaborative. So as they're creating these, all the individuals created these checkpoints. But then when they created a storyboard, they had to mesh all their storyboards into one final storyboard, and so they take the elements of each one and the strengths of each one and create a final um, story to be to be filmed.
0: This is a complex
3: and powerful process. This was over about five weeks, so the kids had a long a long research period. Um, there, this is they had different modules as they went, and so this was literally at the beginning of some of their research where they had just started their body system and they were they they were told they're going on a mission inside the body and so they were told to create a series of screencasts um using explain everything just to kind of model what would it look like what would it feel like going in
1: the importance in in this case is like they knew this from the beginning of the project right like they were they were going to actually be doing or going on this mission to explore the inside of the body and their systems is not just like the tech piece in here didn't come as a compliment or a plus at the end of the whole thing. Like, okay, now to show that you learned about the systems, we're going to make this little video. No, they actually researched and did all of their research thinking mm-hmm. of a product that would look something e- like this.
3: Exactly. And so the, the product is the leverage to, to keep the, the research going. And instead of like bringing out the tech or bringing out the fun, Kind of like craft project at the end, you know, it's really important to kind of understanding by design, meshing with project based learning, is you want to come up with that transference, that application, that product they're going to create from the very beginning so the kids know what they're driving towards. Because I think often what people call projects are something that you sort of tack on at the end, like the fun part at the end or the tech piece at the end or the iMovie that you make at the end. But it should be a fluid piece that goes all the way through it. So like, for example, we'll come up later into your, into your book piece. Like those were all pieces, like on the first day, you know, we made it clear, you're going on a mission inside the body. You're gonna be solving a myth inside the body and you're gonna to have to become familiar with this, this, and this. And so already their need to know is already incentivized and they've already got an incentive to, to project their own learning. And so it's really working from a motivational standpoint of who's prompting and who, who's, you know, the motor behind this motivation. Is it the teacher telling you you have to do this? Or is the student realizing, oh, I really want to get to this point here. And so to do that, I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. And then it becomes like a really
1: meaningful process for them.
0: Yeah. And now uh, thinking about moving forward and bringing back to the, going back to the teacher reflection piece, um, having certainly some finished products for future projects of this nature or other projects in other curricular areas is relevant. But um, how can we take this now and the process that was used to create this and make a fairly generic template that then can be used by other teachers and in a wide range of curricular areas?
3: Well, like if you were going to do this particular project across six classes, well, you just come up with it. You guys are making a movie. You're going inside the body. You're going to to create basically the movie Fantastic Voyage um, and have certain elements that are consistent across. So those pieces. Now the research pieces, I mean, every teacher can manage their own you know how the kids are going to research and how they're going to be accountable for those pieces and how they you know maybe they're working off common rubrics, but like I think that part the teachers can kind of manage. I think the important part is to frame the project from the very beginning um, like what are we starting with? what are we ending with Those going be the most two essential parts for me like what you do in between how you get there is going to be kind of up to each teacher but we're we're doing this particular production or we're doing this particular product um, and I think if you have those framed out from the beginning then the kids will sort of be more motivated to drive towards it. At
1: least that's been our experience.
3: Is kind of poking around with this so far.
1: If you think about it like once teachers start reflecting about like the possibilities that this uh, brings to them, they'll be motivated too. And, And this is, I think, like if you think about project based learning, this is where the planning needs to happen and like teachers getting together. Like if you want to do these across different classes in one grade level, they can really sit down and plan the whole thing together, like driving questions and how the whole process is going to go down.
3: You know, a topic that came up recently at ASA was this idea of the teacher of the future. Like not so much what is the classroom of the future, what do schools look like, but what is the skill set of a teacher of the future? And I, I think a lot of it will become this, this ability to manage classroom collaboration. How do you get the kids incentivized and how do you get them motivated and then manage them through the learning process? So your delivery point will be, and I don't want to say minimalized, you'll still be a deliverer of content as well, but you'll be basically helping curate and manage all of this other process going on in front of you. You know, we looked earlier in another podcast at the um, student-organized learning environments. Yeah. and I, I think it's trying to tap into those elements that you're letting them go at certain points. And in this particular project, when they got to the storyboards, that's where things really cranked up to a different level, where the kids realized they weren't comfortable talking about, drawing about, um, really, like, planning out their story. And so they went and cranked their research on their own, went and found all this other information and came back with stuff that we could never have written into the objectives of the curriculum. like They just took it beyond.
0: But so what can we do to crystallize some of those points in which they wanted to take a quick leap forward? How can we make sure to somehow capitalize or encapsulate those in ways that we can try our best to repeat them pretty much in everything we're doing?
2: Well,
3: yeah, and how would you repeat them from teacher to teacher? Like, like I think the concept of the simulation is pretty powerful because then you've got the kids building or constructing something a product, um, you know, something they're actually producing, then the kids have ownership of it. And then I think those notions, if you can sort of instill those in the teacher's mind, then that's more likely to happen in the next scenario. And I think also, you know, the flexibility of realizing that not every assignment you're going to give kids, you don't want to get 25 replicas of the same product. Like if, if everything looks the same, it's because you have, drew, you have drawn the parameters around that assignment pretty sharp. So you want to keep it, I mean I think an ideal assignment is going to be something where the kids can go interpret it and give you 25 different products.
6: And I think that's, I mean coming back to that, I mean that's the idea to actually have each kid perform their research or their, I mean their knowledge or what they've gained through this, um, through each project in their own specific and unique way. Because if we do replicate it then, then what we're doing is definitely limiting um, their possibilities, rather than giving them more possibilities to explore and present things in their own in their own way.
0: Well, I, I'm all for divergent thinking. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> divergent thinker and a proponent of it. Um, but there are certain elements, there are certain moments, that moment when they decide that they want to then go do research on their own, how can we at least replicate somehow that very nebulous moment? Mm. That's, I guess, what I was getting at. It's
6: it's well, very I difficult. Think, I don't no, go ahead. <laughs> Um, But, I mean, at least what I've experienced with my third graders is that they do need some scaffolding, so um, usually what I do before they go into researching on their own is I'll give them a couple of possibilities, I'll give them sources, samples of sources that are suitable for their age as well, um, and scaffold each part of the process, not just give them this huge essential question and go dig out there, see what you can find, but actually start looking into subtopics that they can each Find their own um, interest in, and then we can start moving into smaller questions that we can try to answer and, and try to solve a real problem, not just something that, you know, that's fantastic or imaginary, um, but we do want to find a, a real solution to a problem that's tangible in the world, uh, so that they can see a change. Um, but it does need a lot of scaffolding, and I, I scaffolding with liberty, I think, is the key always allowing them to pursue their own interesting within that scaffold. Uh,
3: Going back to that idea of divergent and convergent thinking, in the design thinking model, which we apply to a lot of assignments and projects as well, there there has to be this sort of immersion period where where the kids are are able to think divergently. And then, you know, maybe you have brainstorm activities, or maybe you have uh, inquiry activities, you know, see, think, wonder. Those are great um, starters as well, just to get the kids totally freely thinking about something without it being so teacher-directed. And then as you kind of come across problems, then you can start getting more convergent Okay, well, to solve these problems, we're gonna to have to ideate this or design this or you know, whatever they're chasing after, after that, that's where things can get more, more convergent. And, and that's where I think what we're talking about is as they get to like the storyboards, that's where the kids know what they need to accomplish and they go out and find that information on their own.
0: Okay.
6: (laughs) Like right now. Oh, okay. So this was um, a project we did last year. Um, It was a poetry film festival, and students studied poetry and then created their own poems and decided on a way that they wished um, to present it uh, to other people. So um, this, in particular, was one of um, I think our favorite. Um, Since they did the whole process for the film, they wrote down their script, then they did their storyboard, and then they moved on to practicing and actually filming themselves and editing their work before presenting it uh, to an audience. So this is what it looks like.
3: If it it comes up.
5: A ball becomes a head, that becomes a wheel, that wheel is round like a magic ball, that magic ball becomes a cup. the cup transforms into an eye, that eye can see everything at any time an hour. That eye becomes a big yellow soul, that shines like a diamond in the sky that sun becomes a very little dot that dot becomes like freckles in a round face that becomes a button that becomes a sign that says stop little dot the dot goes to his round house that house doesn't like the round dot but the dot loves his round house and the the roundness of everything gives you a smiley face and makes you jump to happiness. OK.
3: All right. Well, who wants to go first on this one?
6: Well, I, I really enjoyed this project because the kids came up with fantastic ideas. But also, they were able to really push their thinking like about what we studied in class, like figurative language was palpable in their poetry. And they also came up with creative and fun ways to show what they'd learned with their friends. Um, and the process, it was all integrated. From the beginning, they knew that they were going to participate in this film um, festival, in this poetry film festival. They were gonna share it with others. So they worked really hard on their poetry. And it, it, I mean, they were, they were just fantastic, the way they, they, they came up with these crazy ideas.
3: So I remember coming in and just kind of setting them up on the iPads with, with iMovie and just showed them some very, very basic things of how to like put clips together, how to create your audio separate from your video, um, and then how to package those. And even with the technology, I remember that was a pretty cool need-to-know situation where the kids would come back the next day and say, okay, how do you do this? How do you do this? Like they were pushing themselves and they were asking for the next you know level there. In this particular student's... Um, Performance. I thought what was most interesting was this comparison between linguistic ability to conceptual and, and visual ability that um, you can you can see that he's struggling producing the pronunciation of language but that doesn't stop him and you and I, I want to say like the making of the movie enabled him to bring his poetry way more to life um, I think that's a really powerful element there is that when the kids have this visual thing to accompany the thing that they're doing with the struggling intelligence, that's gonna bridge it and and pull it along. And I think that out of Project Zero has been part of their spectrum program for years is the bridging of intelligences and using the stronger one to pull the weaker along.
6: Absolutely, and especially for for this student, um, he struggles a lot with his linguistic abilities like writing, speaking, they're all very hard for him, both in English and Spanish. And for me, it was very, very satisfying to see that he had found a way, that we had provided a way for him to actually be excited and empowered through his writing and and, and sharing what he knew and what he was capable of with other people.
3: That is, it's pretty trippy, the whole, like, using the round object and and having it carry across from thing to
8: thing, That, that was... But even in the
6: way he speaks, like you can tell that he was in a mood and the way he acts and he's performing. He's not just, um, he's not putting on, uh, um, he's not reading just the poem he wrote. He's actually making a performance and he prepared his costume, he prepared the props. He had brought them several days before. He was super excited about it and he was actually able to deliver something that he was proud of.
0: So in something like this, To what degree is there an advantage of showing some final products that children have done in the past, which may inadvertently guide them too much, versus really just laying out the outline and giving them complete freedom?
3: Yeah, I know, I think that's a really important balance as well, is how much modeling do you want to show them, and how much student product to former students do you want to show them before. I mean, I think what would be really helpful just in the technical part is showing them what it can do like when some kids found out they could do slow motion that opened up this whole other aspect of their other films and then how to make tight clips so some of the other films were were pretty amazing like the kids took the iPads and like would spin around with them as they hold them out as you know they're reading their poem and stuff and finding all these creative perspectives to use as well.
0: So in that Um, way you could actually just show several tiny clips without showing the final piece which wouldn't really lead their thinking too much but just give them a few tools that yeah. can really let them explode on their own. And I yeah. think this touches on
3: that concept we said before where, where the, the project was making the video, but we didn't start the video until they were already sort of into writing the poem, although they were still fine-tuning the poem as the video was going. I think that was a cool element. Um, to redo it, And I mean, I, I would start with the video. Say, this is what you're going to be working on, and then as they're creating their poem, they could be thinking visually, like, okay, well, how is this going to look? And you know, maybe that would bridge other kinds of thinking as well. Um, I think there's tons of capabilities. This was actually one of the first projects we did with iMovie, and it was definitely the first creative writing, poetry, film project we've had at school. Um, we haven't actually had a whole lot of this since, but this is something I would love to push more
1: of. I'd yeah, say so that's one, one more thing that, uh, along with bridging into the you know, literacy element, there is the tech element too, and like really gets them thinking, as far as the technology piece goes, how can I use tech to accomplish a specific result for my book Hmm. and really get some thinking about, okay, how can I use that in a specific way to achieve these results I want?
3: Yeah, I think sometimes I'm hesitant to like, the the tool sometimes takes over the objective. So like the kids recently were working with Minecraft and um, it was a cultural study for us, which is the first time we've done it. And watching how some of the kids would take off and just start constructing all these wild things that had nothing to do with the content there they were studying. But it was fascinating because you realize like, sometimes you have to be careful that um, the kids don't run away with the tools so that the, the iPad and the movie making part doesn't corrupt the, the poetry part, so to speak.
6: Right, but I also think that if it's gui- well-guided and you come back to them, they can self-monitor as well and they can tell that this uh, project, this visual project that they're doing, audio-visual project, is actually giving them feedback on their own product. So that's why it was so cool to see them modify their poems as they were creating their videos because they could see that some things were not as they wanted them to or conveying the message that they wanted to. So it can still be very, very powerful.
0: Hmm. That's where you're going back and forth between the paper and the iPad. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also an interesting balance, and in what moments to come back and what moments to move forward with with the technology, I I think there's some nuances there that are worth exploring. (laughs) Well, yeah, and how to validate the pencil and
3: paper work with the iPad, through your documentation, through your um, screencasting, and capturing thought on top of thought. So the kids have already written something, and now they're going to go over and critique it and, and think more on it. Um, I think those, those layers of thought are a really important factor as well. That we're not negating the pencil and paper part, we're actually taking it to another metacognitive level. Yeah. That was really deep.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want
3: to stop there, shall we? You want to talk about the, the, the balls? Of the... <laughs> Let's
6: talk about all the balls.
3: In the upcoming Google Hangout, we'll talk to Daniel Kemp. He is the creator of the app. Book Creator, and we'll find out how teachers appropriated the app. Then we'll talk at the same time to Brian Yearling, who's an Instructional Technology Coordinator in Wisconsin, and he's in charge of a massive iPad one-to-one program in which they've had a lot of success using Book Creator to track their students' literacy. You yes, there, like
2: first?
9: Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs>
2: um, so hi, I'm, I'm Dan Kemp. Coming to you from Bristol on a surprisingly nice day in the UK. And um, I joined the Red Jumper team in 2013. Um, and um, Red Jumper are the team behind Book Creator, which is the, uh, an app for iPad and that allows you to create ebooks. Um, book Creator is the, the number one book app in across 80 countries. And um, we're kind of really proud of the fact that um, 10 million ebooks yeah, have been so made. In the so far. And you should be
1: really proud. Thank you, uh, Daniel. Brian, you want to go ahead? Yeah, so
9: my name is Brian Yearling. I'm uh, with the school district of Waukesha. I'm an Instructional Technology Coordinator. I'm a, a member of uh, a three-person team that does that work. Waukesha is in uh, Wisconsin, United States. And um, my work here. Previously, I was a high school English teacher, um, and then about five years ago, I joined the team here. And in those five years, we've moved uh, from kind of a lab-based setup where uh, traditional, you know, access to computers to, in the last year and a half, we're putting iPad in every student's hands. So that's across about 26 buildings, 14,000 students. Um, And so our work this year specifically is focusing on a literacy focus, and what we did was uh, we built a core set of apps that every student and every uh, teacher would have access to for stability's purpose, and Book Creator happens to be one of those apps, which is really how Dan and I kind of connect is just talking through some of uh, the things along the way and questions and ideas, so um, that's our connection.
3: Awesome. Can I jump in? (laughs) I would love to hear about the design of the app itself, when you design, I guess any good design is going to have a really strong intent. Um, how did you come about collecting, you know, what you wanted to put on the app? Um, how did you think of the user as you were creating it? I'm kind of thinking in a design thinking model. Um, how, how did, what was the process like?
2: Okay, so um, starting at the start, the app was by a chap called Dan Amos. Um, and he was previously a, a product manager with Nokia. Um, but he and his wife, um, Ali Kennan, who is a children's author, um, I think they back in 2011 when iPads were, were fairly new, they, they kind of got a hold of it and, uh, and wanted to, to come up with a tool that um, would help people become self-published authors. Um, so originally, it wasn't really... It, the, the vision was never to make it... an an educational products or app. Um, But as soon as the the app was released, um, September 2011, it became clear very early on that teachers were getting hold of the app, um, using it in their classrooms, and um, we started to to get in touch with Dan saying, hey, uh, we love the app, wouldn't it be great if we could add video? Um, You know, what about adding hyperlinks to text? Um, Can we look at different ways to share the app, uh, sorry, to share books that we've made, and so the, the kind of roadmap uh, became based on what the feedback that we got from teachers, um, and, and now we're, we're very much education focused, um, we talk to teachers all the time, and we kind of have adopted the kind of the vision that the book creator really does belong to the teachers.
3: So teachers appropriated your creation. That, that's amazing.
2: And yeah, that really is true. That,
3: that's, I, know, I, I had no idea. I just assumed it was created as an educational app. When we went to iPad, it was one of the first things we got into. Um, we've used it for projects here and there, and we're trying to, to push it more into our practices as well. How much do you feel confined by what the Google platform and, and Apple platform offer you?
2: Um, well, uh, I don't know that we're confined by it. Actually, Google Drive is a, is a great way for for teachers to to store books and um, and share them. So we know that it has been used that way. Um, yeah. How how
1: do uh, you get? feedback from teachers, what is the most direct contact you have with teachers,
2: Do so they email you guys, do so you do some sort of PD for teachers or anything like that? No, most of the, the feedback we get is either through social media, uh, through our Twitter especially, which is you know really big for teachers. We have a, a support help desk, so um, we get a lot of feature requests that way. Um, we've set up a, a kind of Beta testing kind of group of, of teachers that we've come to to work with and know really well and trust and, and we kind of push out the uh, beta test beta testing developments of uh, each stage of the app to them first. Um, so there's a few ways uh, you know and it's kind of just word of mouth that's connected teachers to each other and then to us really. Okay. Well, Brian, um, you know we
3: we're talking about like ways of Assessing different apps, and I know one of them is sort of thinking affordances and constraints. Could you talk a little bit? About what you see in the classroom, what do you see the great affordances, and then and then what do you see as the constraints?
9: Right. So, you know, when when we set like I said, as I was talking about, we did this this core set of apps, and for us at that point, um, you've got thousands of apps to pick from. And a lot of them, you know, you'll see repeats of some of the things that it does. What's interesting to me about really well-designed apps that are simple to use is they seem to just kind of rise above the crowd. So for us, Book Creator, and just, Dan, this is the first, you know, that I've ever heard that it wasn't a design for education tool as well. And it's it's just like a no-brainer. I, I don't even know at any point that you know Book Creator was just on the list. And there was no question about it, and it was primarily through that, that Google Drive uploading the ability for us to connect that way. So we had a way to output, uh, pretty easy to use. So for us, it made the core list pretty quickly. Um, but then I guess you know as as I think about that, so over time we we are watching things happen with this tool. And really, it's not for many of our students, it's not about um, becoming a published author. In fact, it's probably one of our larger note-taking apps. Um, It's an an app that really collates uh, their thinking as they go. This year our big focus has been making thinking visible. So this is a tool that's really great for making students thinking visible kind of across multiple, you know, domains. You've got text input, you've got the ability to draw now, you've got the image input, the video input, and also, you have the audio input, um, so that's a that's a pretty powerful tool. That when a kid, um, no matter what their learning style is, when a kid needs to show what they've what they've learned or what they know, um, and I think that's the great affordance of of book reader is that that ease of use, along with the multiple ways that I can show you what I know in, in the app itself.
3: Yeah, we'd, we'd love to see it. <laughs> so, um, you, you want to take a look at some of the examples?
9: Is that what you're thinking?
3: Yeah, I mean, we personally have played around with it a bit, but because this discussion will be viewed by our teachers and and other teachers as well, we'd love just to see kind of, if you can, uh, a couple of quick examples. Yeah, right.
9: So, okay, so here's here's something that we've got. I'm just going to pull my screen share up and let me know if you can see it. All right, so you guys can see that? Okay, cool. So, I've got a couple of uh, quick examples um, that I'm going to share with you. So, we, a uh, big focus on E3 and inquiry based learning this year. And one of our teachers uh, here at the building I'm at right now at North High School in Waksha, uh, Dan Knuth, started thinking about how to, he was starting a poetry unit, and he started thinking about how he would introduce his kids to a lot of different styles of poetry. He knew at the end of the year that the major outcome was that kids were going to write a, a book called This I Believe, a poetry book, in which they highlighted their different pieces. Now, as a English teacher myself, I've seen how we've done this in the past. It's often kind of a you use Word or something like that, and you type, uh, have the kids type it up and submit it. Um, so here's an example of his introductory activity um, where he had students he laid out in, in, in the library A uh, series of different exhibits of different types of poetry, and so then gives the directions here to the kids. Um, You know, again, we talked about that multiple types of input. So that idea that they can type it, write it, record it, whatever it might be, was really important for him at the at the initial onset. So they had something to come back to. Again, this was an introduction to the unit, and so all he did was uh, he basically pulled together. This doesn't look like much, but it's a, a blank template. Um, similar to maybe something he would have given them in a worksheet format or something like this, he created a blank template here of the different poems and you can see the consistent piece, he's always looking for that controlling metaphor, the poetic analysis and the underlying philosophy. So what Dan did at that point uh, was he basically took this, he shared it out um, as an EPUB um, to the students, so from here he shared it out as an EPUB in Google Drive. Every student downloaded that, and now they had their own copy of it and then they did their museum walk that way. So I'm just going to show you what uh, one of the students look like here quick. Uh, this is not one of them. I'll Go back. So this is what, um, and this one was just a text face. but he said you know kids do different things with it as they as they got lined up into it. So we'll pull up her, uh, Sophie's museum walk book here. Or not, maybe we won't. Um, but so as that's coming up, though, you'll see basically her filling in her notes. So this is what we're talking about just being kind of an output of, of note taking um, as we go. There we go.
3: Yeah, I know we were interacting yesterday on the, on the document. One of the things that, that we hadn't thought of before was this idea of, of every kid in the room making a page of the book or opening a book and then passing it from iPad to iPad using AirDrop so that everyone gets to kind of continue the book from there. So these open up. I, I had not considered the the note-taking capabilities of it as, as well. So that's pretty fascinating.
9: Well, and so and so one of the other things that we have done because um, I can't seem to get that book, the iBook, to pull up here. But one of the other things that we had done, um, and I just love this. So we're working. Um, our district happens to be working with Linda Dorn um, in our literacy focus. And so um, one of the things that is a focal point for her is the idea of a thoughtful or a thinking log a way that kids can, over, um, over the course of time, really start to document their learning. And so, in a thoughtful log, um, you know, th- there's key pieces that they're looking for. And we often use that, like, in our reader-writer workshop world. But here's another example of kind of a note-taking piece. So, uh, this comes from our Les Paul Middle School. And the teachers there, without any real, you know, direction on our end as coordinators, Um, saw the the potential of a tool like this. So they they created, um, and I'll show you kind of, this is a big one. Um, This is a blank note-taking template that models Dorn's Thoughtful or Logs format and then what the kids do throughout the year, so you can see here in yellow is World Geo and then in in red is math. What the kids do throughout the year then is they model their thinking um, right on the page here. So They're using the onboard camera, um, they're using the video editing options. They're using the drawing and typing options. They're even using audio recording to record some of their teachers. And so that's kind of the new version of note-taking um, in our schools that are using these thoughtful logs uh, in, in this kind of similar format. So that's a really a powerful way. And again, they're basically pushing out the blank template, which we've done that for a long time, right? We've used graphic organizers um, for a long time, but now not only are they graphic organizers kids can fill out, but they can interact with them. They can add multimedia components, which has been the limitation of you know non-tablet interfaces for a long time, and you know apps that are just textually focused, right? So um, those are just kind of you know some of the things that we're starting to talk about um, and and explore uh, as we go through and uh, play with Book Creator.
0: the use of the note-taking capability, to what degree are the students going beyond type and writing and are using photographs and recording to take the notes? Is that happening across the board, across grade levels, across subjects, or are the majority continuing to use quite a bit of writing and uh, typing in the beginning?
9: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good question. And I think when we start, um, a lot of this comes down to the comfort of the teacher on that, right? So do they understand the multiple inputs that can be, that can be put in place? Um, but we're seeing kind of a, a growing mix on that where more and more kids are starting to put the multimedia elements together. I'm going to show you another example that, uh, that goes along kind of with that. And I, I took the pictures out of here of the students but I... So it, wherever you see a picture that you're wondering what, what it is or why it's there, these are pictures that the kids used before. This is uh, actually the one, Dan, that was uh, featured on the Book Creator blog um, where we talked about how, how this impacts the levels of SAMR. And how teachers climb STEM or using Book Creator. So, in this example, um, it's a high school foreign language class, Spanish class. Kids are learning Spanish, and uh, the teacher wants to. They want to know: Can you write Spanish? Can you speak Spanish? Um, so here you see an example where, okay, that's text-based and, and image-based but now we get to this page here and I, I'm not going to use the audio but this audio is also the students audio performance for the teacher so they record themselves speaking in the in the target language um, and this becomes the feedback that the teacher now ha- has or I should say that the performance the teacher has to assess their understanding from an audio perspective so you've got now three inputs here um, that are in place when I get all the way to the end and this is the powerful moment for me I think this is the like change the world kind of moment. What the teacher did in this particular case was uh, she had the students export the file without this feedback page, okay, so just ending right here, and then they exported it as an EPUB in Google Drive, the teacher downloaded it on her iPad in Book Creator, and then after the class was or after she had assessed the, the work, offered an audio recording. So this here is not the students feedback, it's actually the, the teacher giving feedback to the students about their learning so, and then passing it back to the students that way. Um, they're also doing this through airdrop. That's one of the ways that they're dropping these a little bit more efficiently today, but that was about a year and a half ago when that wasn't quite as efficient of a process. Uh, I'd like to share one way we're doing, working with this uh, program in the first
8: grade. We're using it for pre-planning of uh, their all-about books and Learners workshop. They're using the pen tool to draw quick pictures, and then they use the audio recording to put in some sentences about what they're thinking about saying, questions they have about their topic, things like that. And then later they go in and transcribe some of their, their thoughts, reorder them by rearranging the audio recording on the page and then doing their write-ups from there.
9: That's really an exciting way of using it.
3: Um, Well, I have a kind of exterior framing question more about your implementation program with with the iPads. You say you guys are going one-to-one, and I think, did I hear you right, 14,000 students?
9: Just under that, yeah.
3: So this is a massive project, and the only other one I can compare to that I know of is is Los Angeles. And um, I'd like you, if you can, kind of compare and contrast what are you guys doing differently that correct some of the errors of the, of the L.A. project.
9: So we had one actually, um, before L.A. came out, and we were in that point. Uh, we had you know a couple of years of planning in at that point. What's very different about our implementation um, from kind of what happened in, in Los Angeles was this. We live in a self-managed model, uh, we, from the beginning. We live, lived in a self-managed model, so we have uh, Casper, which is an MDM that basically allows us to do some management of the iPad. But what we do is we literally hand the iPad out of the box, no pre-touching of it by tech department or anything like that, and the students actually engage with us in this, through the setup process. We do this K-12, so our kindergartners have it uh, all the way up through our 12th graders. Our K-1 schools uh, basically live in more of a cart-based model with the goal of of moving to take-home. But uh, second grade and and beyond move into a take-home model. And the student really owns the iPad, although the district's obviously purchased it. What we mean by that is it's your responsibility to take care care of it. It's your responsibility to install the apps um, that you feel you need. Uh, We prescribe a set of them, so we've got about eight or nine different apps that we say are our core apps you have to have. But after that, if you don't like taking notes of Notability, you can use Evernote, no problem. Um, You know, no no issues with that. We then empower our families, and this is a key piece for us, our families, our uh, assistant principals and principals, our teachers, to impose restrictions on a case-by-case basis, so when a kid does uh, go over the line, do something that's inappropriate, is off task. Um, we empower that them to do, you know, whether that is uh, locking them into a particular app um, or setting more kind of family restrictions on that that they feel more comfortable with. Because with 14,000 students and how many families of that, we've got, everybody's got a different perspective on what their comfort level is with technology, what their company is doing. So we World for our teachers and our students, which I think is is quite different than, you know, the reason that that Los Angeles uh, ran into troubles right away was the the promise that it would be locked down and that it would only be used for certain things, which I think steals the thunder of what the iPad's capable of in the classroom.
3: Yeah, and um, I'm I'm kind of concerned about your Teacher-trainer model as well. So when you give professional development, you guys use case-based learning. Um, how do you get the information out to teachers? What is, do you have a system where, you know, there's a, a core teacher group that comes in and learns how everything's used and goes back down and teaches the teams? Like, how do you structure all of that?
9: Right, so there's a team of three of us. Um, that are at the coordinator level across the district. I focus mostly 6-12, and then we've got actually uh, one and a half of us, Lauren and Wendy, who work at the elementary level. And we really structure the PD. Um, we have moved to a pretty personalized learning model with our PD, even so, there aren't too many times where you're going to come and get a sit-and-get event in our district any longer. We just there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough, you know, technology just moves too fast for that. So. We're really shifting to a model where we deliver PD, um, whether that be webinar or uh, some other format, where you can come online and get it from us. But what we'll do then is in the building, what we've we've issued a vanguard team, and that vanguard team really is the central focus for that building. Um, some of our buildings have done a really nice job of, of laying out. You know, if there are, if there are 15 people on a vanguard team, and we've got uh, you know so many, though you now have five buddies that you basically connect with, and those are your in-building support people. Um, so we did this activity uh, about two years ago when we first started rolling out. We did an activity where we had the whole staff at a staff meeting. We had them point at their tech help person, the person that they connect with. And you know how that goes. Like everybody points at one or two people in the building, right? Like when I have a question, I'm coming to and every. So we wanted to diversify that a little bit. So our Vanguard teams are a way that we diversify that. We train the Vanguard teams um, and then they go and deliver uh, PD from that point forward.
3: How much do you rely on I guess content goal what the teacher's trying to teach in the classroom, using that goal before you consider the technology piece? Who helps them plan those parts? Like I look at activity theory model where you kind of look at subject and object and then you start looking at tech tool and then community and the rules and you know the division of labor. Um, how do you guys plan that together, like as far as the tech professional the literacy coach, or whoever else is helping the teachers plan.
9: Yeah, so I mean I think this comes back to the point about picking a tool like Book Creator, right? So one of the things that's beautiful about it is it's really easy to use and it's not subject specific. So um, what we basically have done with our core apps is we've said, okay, these apps are the ones that will allow you to be creative, collaborative, personalized, which is a really, you know, like when you look at our goals those are our goals for learning that that kids can kind of show us what they know in whatever format. We don't worry about end product. So when you pick a core set of apps like that, um, we use Book Creator, we use Explain Everything, we use iMovie. When you pick apps that really focus on creativity then you let the content specialist come in and figure out the teachers you know how are we going to employ this here and so we talk a lot about the SAMR model, right? And this is really critical to our PD and, you know, if you guys are are using a great... This I would push out to anybody, like start talking SAMR because everybody starts by learning the language of the technology. What's cool about really simple, well-designed apps is that you learn the language of the technology much more quickly and now you get to to the augmentation level, the A in SAMR, right where you start using some of the more valuable kind of add-ons. And then, what we're driving at, we're not fully there yet, but we're, we're driving at getting people to modification. So I know the tool, I know the tool can do these things, and now I'm going to do something that maybe I had never considered or done before in my classroom. Because um, there's kind of that classic chicken or egg with, with instructional technology, right? Do I have the need for the technology, or does the technology come and then I suddenly have the need, right? That, that comes later. So. We're finding that putting the technology in place, because this was my ongoing question when I moved into this role, putting the technology in place has really started to get people thinking about what's possible with the technology. So I think, I think that's my answer to chicken or egg, right? When the technology is accessible, people start, and reliable, people start saying, okay, what could I do with that? And then they bring their own expertise as, as classroom teachers. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that, that's kind of how we've dr- been driving at that.
3: Yeah, that, that covers a lot. I mean, We're definitely um, SAMR model, and, and we're still, I think, working at the level of just getting people to understand the concepts of, of what all these pieces are capable of. Um, you guys have a question? Because I have a question. To, um, I kind of have a question of where, where it's going from here. What, from both sides, uh, from both of you, it's sort of what are the next steps, and then what would you just love to see if it were possible on whatever platform, what would you love to put into the app?
2: Well, um, I'm going to say, ask you that question. What, would, what do you want to see happen with Book Creator Connect?
3: Well, we love using the, the collaborative elements of it. And so, you know, one of the things we were talking about yesterday is, like, wouldn't it be wonderful is the moment you open the book, you had the ability to open up to collaboration kind of in a Google Doc format where you could be working on this page and someone else is working on that page. With a lot of apps, we, we sort of wish that. But I, I know that that's one of the constraints of you know just working with within the iPad and, and with the platforms are working with I have
8: a basic one, larger text when you're
2: writing. L- Sorry larger text when you write.
8: Text while you're composing in
2: book creator. Uh, okay.
8: so it's well, really you, know, you,
2: you can adjust that in your in the iPad settings so if you choose larger te- text in your iPad settings then then the book creator takes that and so when you input text that text is larger there's no setting to do it in Book Creator, but it's it's for the iPad as a whole. Okay,
8: we'll
3: look at that. Um, and I, I guess you know Book Creator's expanded so much. For me, it's sort of looking at Book Creator and looking at an app like Explain Everything, and then having to make those decisions. Which one's the best one? I mean, some of the things that Explain Everything does with the timeline kind of video editing piece opens up uh, you know a few more options. Uh, layering things on top of each other, creating animations, things like that. So. The way I think about Book Creator is is, is a published piece of work, and then I'm, I try to think of how do we open it up and make it more collaborative in the classroom so it's not just every individual student working on their thing, but, you know, putting in prototype loops or critique loops where kids can come in and critique each other at, on their way to the final product.
2: That's, good. That's a good idea. Uh, and I think one of the things that... We... That we think about that is kind of the why Is um, that published book um element of book creator which is the thing that grabs them grabs the kids, so when the kids when they are writing something or producing something that could be shared and they know that it's going to be available to a wider audience that's what then gets them really um focused and and energized and um you know, if it's just for the for the teacher, it's not quite the same as when you can say, actually, we're gonna put this on the iBook store and make it available across the world for people to download. I think that's what um the beauty of creating an ebook um is really about.
9: Yeah, I, you know, Daniel, you and I have kind of conversed about this a little bit, but I, I think that that publishing to the world piece, it, you know, that is that going public um, that really gives kids voice. Um, something I'd love to see in the future, um, because especially as we're starting to think about learner portfolios, which to us at least is really the focal point of summative assessment, um, kind of long-term, what do you know and taking ownership of your learning. Um is being able to put some of the, take an EPUB and publish it out to the world. So I put it in my portfolio and the world, even if they don't have an iPad, can actually see that EPUB with the with the audio elements, right? Or with the video elements of it, like those interactive multimedia pieces. So um I think that would be a real a, a win, you know, when we start looking at, at portfolios.
2: Yeah, you're right. And um I mean there's, there's lots of ways to share the book at the moment. And um one of the ways we had to introduce last year was uh, to export the book as a video, um, which meant you could then um, upload it to YouTube and, and potentially embed it on your, your website or blog. That's what teachers wanted, because obviously if you save your EPUB book and um, you know store it on, on cloud service like Dropbox or Google Drive and then send that link to the parent, the parent still then needs Uh, uh, an Apple device with iBooks to be able to read that book or they need a device that has Book Creator installed. So the holy grail kind of level for us is uh, a way to share, for teachers to share books um, that's kind of agnostic and what we're looking at and what we're developing for this year is that ability to to take a book and post it straight to the web so you um, can then send the link on and say, here is the book, uh, and you'll be able to view it on the web with all that kind of page turning and and audio and video, is, which you want to see. So that is where we're heading, because that's, that's what teachers have told us they really need.
3: And we, we definitely see that share out function, and I, I hadn't used it in a few months, and I went back and visited and was kind of critiquing on on all different ways it does share out, and see giant improvements on how we get the material out there to be shared with others. And, and that's definitely a factor here. Is that, like we talked to Ron Berger of Expeditionary Learning, and, and one of their critical pieces is for learning to be a public piece, for it to be transparent, and for people to actually get to you know share what they've done with a much larger audience than their classroom. Um, I have more questions and, and more things I'd love to talk about, but I have to go to class in, in about two minutes. <laughs> uh, can you guys stick around and keep, and keep talking? Okay, class you know, uh, we then I think we're at our, our
1: time our time cut point. I think I just got one more and then we'll be closing. Okay. If you want to stick around. go ahead.
8: No. Um. Well, the book creator we love it in the pre-K. We're working it in K4, K5, grade one, two, and we've been doing tons of writing all about books. We publish out to parents through ebooks. books We love the ability when the parents come in for uh, portfolio sharing and book sharing days. They can just email it right to themselves so the yeah. teachers don't have to spend a lot of time getting it to people. Uh, so I just want to say that it's a great all-in-one product. And thanks for developing
3: it. Yeah, we would love to um, share out in a month or so kind of what we, we produce as well, and I, I would love any any feedback from you all. A book creator would be. We'll, we'll definitely pass those things on as well if that's useful.
2: certainly is, too. Great. <laughs>
1: And then maybe, Daniel maybe one more thing, um, I was browsing, browsing through your side guys and I saw something called the Global Book Series, what can you tell us about that?
2: So there's a school in New York called the Avenues World School and um, I think it was back in 2013 they did their first book. Um, one of the, the teachers there is an Apple Distinguished Educator called Meg Wilson. She put out on Twitter a kind of call saying is anyone up for making a, a, a collaborative book um, about the place uh, you live um, and, and I'll put it all together and then we'll, we'll publish it. So um, I don't know how many schools responded in the end but um, I do know, 20 or so maybe. Um, they, they set up a really good system for doing it with a um, a Google Form to say this is how we need to um, get the information to me um, it, one of the things that's quite important with collaborating with books is that you have to choose the same uh, page layout, otherwise you can't combine them in the in the finished version um, so all that kind of detail stuff she communicated really well. she got a great response, and so they came up with a finished book that had been um, you know contributions from all around the world. Uh, and it was it was the first time we 'd really seen that and it it really kind of blew our minds that that people across the world were were creating a book together um, so we we then went and um, helped them publish that book to the iBook store um, it 's there you can get it now um, and and we 're seeing a lot more of that global uh collaboration now um, quite often uh, you know you see teachers kind of putting that call out and i 'll kind of retweet it and try and get more people involved. But one one that happened recently, um, a teacher called John Smith uh, from Ohio, um, kind of inspired by what Meg had done I think in the Global Eyebook series. Um, he, he did a similar thing and he managed to get uh, 35 classes from 22 states uh, across America and across the world, um, contributing to one uh, poetry compilation of 163 pages which he um published on itunes and had his own blog about it um generated a lot of buzz around it with a hashtag twima on twitter um the world is my audience that stands for which i think is a great catch line um and i think that you know that should be book creators catchphrase for now i think that's it i love that so you know, I think things like that—it just—it just blows our mind that, that that the kind of scale in which books can be created now, right, it's just fantastic.
3: How does that feel for you as as the creator of this app to see the appropriation and and how it's being used around the world like that?
2: It's humbling, really, isn't it? I mean, that's that's all I can say. Um, you know, we, we're we're a small team based in Bristol, and we've. Uh, you know, we've made this app and we we put it out there and and now it's being used across the world. That, I mean it's just that it's wonderful.
3: Very cool. Awesome. Thank you guys very much for um the attention and the time today. Uh, we'll we'll publish the rest of this podcast as, as kind of a, a session, a series, and this will be be a segment of it as well and uh, would love to collaborate with you guys in the future just as far as seeing what else is happening out there um, and you know, collecting some of your knowledge as well.
2: Well, thanks. So, it was great connecting with you guys. guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks for inviting us. Thank you.